Hey, this is Alex Terranova, and this is the Dream Mason Podcast. We've been taught to behave, to fit in, to follow the rules, but Dream Masons reject conventional thought. Dream Masons are rebels. They take a chisel to the marble that is typical traditional life. They carve out brilliance and broadcast it to the world. Join me for another chapter as we unmask convention, embrace the rebels within us, and more deeply come to explore the complex and agitated edges of our existence. Now, before we get started, please don't be a rebel yet and grab your phone and hit that little button that says subscribe. Thank you. Because your dreams don't build themselves. What's up and welcome back to the Dream Mason podcast. I am your host, Alex Terranova. I have a, uh, a really, I don't know how to say, I have a guest today who, who's got a lot to share. As I, as I researched him, as I learned more about him, as my team learned more about him, it's like they're endless stories. And I think when you live a full life, you end up with a life of endless stories. Um, one of my clients asked me recently, he goes, God, it, sometimes it drives me crazy that it seems like every time you finish something, you start something new. And right. he, it made him feel um, like he wasn't doing enough and whatnot. And he said he had this realization that, oh my God, that's not what it is. It's Alex's living. He does something, he finishes, he starts something new. That's what living is. That's what life is. And uh, so many of us get empowered by that and so many of us don't. But my guest today has done a lot of living. I want to read a piece out of his book because I just loved it and I thought it was cool. Um, and you're going to learn a little bit about him from this. Um, but his book that I'm reading out of is called Reach Beyond and Find Your Path to Success. And this segment is about his time when he spent as a professional baseball player with the Yankees. So it was in about 1965, he was playing with people like Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris, two of the greatest baseball players of all time, if you're not a baseball person. So I'm just going to read this piece. Uh, My locker in the clubhouse was directly across from Hall, Hall of Famer Mickey Mantle. Mickey's better days as a player were behind him. I watched him daily as he placed the wrap around each leg, extending from his ankle to his thigh. It was evident his legs hurt badly, yet he played and he played well. One morning as we were dressing for practice, Mickey noticed that I had older equipment, gloves, shoes, etc. In those days, baseball clubs did not supply these items to players. It was the player's responsibility to procure them. Mickey asked if I had a contract with one of the major, major baseball equipment suppliers, like Rawlings or Spalding. They supplied players with the equipment for their endorsement. I expressed to Mickey that I did not have a contract. After returning from the practice field later that day, there was a complete supply of new equipment, including a warm-up jacket at my locker. When I thanked Mickey for, Mickey for his assistance, he told me, kid, being a Yankee means going first class. Isn't our real purpose in life to go first class? A sense of purpose is important because it aids in tapping into our first-class reserves of energy, desire, and courage. When we have a, a definitive purpose, we are more apt to concentrate our efforts on what matters most. It is from the reality base of genuine purpose that we formulate the framework for a crystal-clear vision that will set the tone for life-fulfilling goals. This fortified purpose will serve to inspire us to become something special. 
My guest today, as you as you got from that, is a former professional baseball player. He played with the Yankees and the Cardinals. He spent nine years in the major leagues. He's also written 15 books. Somebody who's written one book, I always talk about how insane it is to, to keep <laughs> writing. I heard recently, anybody can write one book, um, but almost nobody can write two books. Uh, he was a sales trainer and a motivational speaker. He was a TV and radio show host. He also now is a super senior on the Grand Prix tennis tour. He had interactions with people like Zig Ziglar, obviously Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle. And he actually also had a, a pretty interesting interaction with an astronaut. Um, Lou Vickery, how you doing? Welcome to the Dream Mason <laughs> podcast. Hey, Alex, you did good. I, I really appreciate that. You know, when you write something like that and you listen to it yourself, you said, well, where did that come from? You know, but you get, that's what inspiration is all about, isn't it? You get inspired to do something that's amazing. But that uh, always stuck with me, what Mickey had to say, you, you know, and this really is our purpose in life. It's, it's to go first class. And uh, I have really uh, been blessed by so many years of exposure. You know, I, one of the things I wanted to mention, I like to mention this because uh, at, at least if, uh, if, anything it expresses that i've been around the horn a time or two but i've been in every major city in this country with a population of more than 150,000 people i've spoken oh, wow. all over the, the country and you know everywhere you go alex you meet some wonderful people you meet people that uh, have a tremendous desire and uh, if if i i like to call the a term i like to use is called stability you know it's one thing to start something and I, I remember my first book. And uh, if anybody that has written a book can, can identify with this, I, that day, in those days, it was just an old typewriter. And I sat and I looked at a blank piece of paper for two hours before I could <laughs> say, <laughs> say anything. But, you know, the longer you do it, the more you do it, the easier it gets. And uh, I I've really have uh, enjoyed over the years some, uh, meeting some wonderful people, seeing some wonderful sights. Uh, two years ago, took a tour to go back to all the Western cities. I wish I'd known you guys were uh, on the West Coast at that time. We'd love to have seen you. And uh, went for 104 days on the motorhome, uh, traveling and seeing uh, the beautiful sights and the cities where I played ball out West, uh, which were numerous, if you, if you stop to think about it. You, you have such a, like, when you look at your story, it's, I don't know what the word is because it's not like a sequel or chapters of a book because usually those kind of take the same. It's not, you know, like Indiana Jones. It's always Indiana Jones doing different things. Right. You're, it's, it's like you kept reinventing yourself, right? From baseball to author to sales trainer and motivational speaker to radio show host to now tennis tour. I, that's when I was looking, it was like, man, this man has led a full life. What gave you, I don't know if it's the confidence or the courage to just be willing to keep trying new things. Well, and if I had, sometimes that can be no fault, sure. but as a general rule, I, I tell everyone I've had at least four distinct careers. A very unusual in the sense that, you know, from a baseball player uh, to um, I got involved in the motivational speaking end of the business, did that for, um, well, actually, I've worked for Merrill Lynch in the brokerage business for a period of uh, four or five years. And I did not particularly like that business because of the fact that I was tied down. You know, you're sitting there with 
two phones in your ears and you're trying to, you're dealing with people's money. It just wasn't my cup of tea. But one of the things I found out, Alex, and this is where it is in life sometimes, that while I wasn't a real success doing that business, I found out I was pretty good on my feet. You know, I'd go out and speak to groups and uh, about uh, financial uh, means. And so I answered an ad in the Wall Street Journal, and that's the way I got started for 29 years, traveled all over the country, having an opportunity to speak uh, to large groups of people and uh, say, hey, even some small groups. But um, then after I've, I felt like that, man, you know what? There's some other things I want to do. So at the age of 60, I decided to get in the radio business. So, and I uh, got involved with that. And I've always loved, well, I don't say always, but from by age 35, I started playing tennis and tennis is a big part of my life now. So I like to play four or five days a week. I, um, when you were talking about transitioning to the speaking or going into, you know, that new businesses, something that I've seen, you know, along the way is often that embarrassing first time, you know, that first time that I tried to bring people together for some sort of meeting or something. And one person showed up Yeah, the time that I thought I got, you know, a speaking gig and I thought it was going to be great. And six people were there and um, even yesterday, I had a big meeting yesterday for another, for a company that I have on the side. And I realized after, man, this is the best meeting this, this venture has ever had. And it's actually 20 years in the making. I've been trying to create a meeting <laughs> like this with my friend since we were 21. And we finally may have got the one, but how many times did we just completely swing and miss? Um, do you have any stories like that where you, you know, you tried that new thing and you were really excited about it and you just completely, completely whiffed? I, and you know what is, excuse me, I, as I think about it, I was sitting listening to your talk and uh, I had a very similar experience. I, try, I all traveled all the way to Sa Sacramento uh, from our part of the world, got there, and uh, the time the meeting was scheduled, well, I got mixed up on the time. Now, it's a two-hour difference in our time. And I show up two hours early, and there's no one there. So I kept, what in the world's going on? And I tried to contact the, the contact person. What does it end up? I'm two hours early, and I leave. And they call me and says, look, we got 35 people here waiting <laughs> on you to come back. So I think sometimes we can... Uh, we can really, you know, I, I don't know if I, the fact of the matter is I would speak willing to speak to one person or 4,000. It didn't make any difference because the way I look at it from the speaking business and what you do or any of us do in the motivational end of the business is that we, if there's just one soul, one person that you can make a difference for, it's been worth the time. And so I, uh, I made a lifetime friend out of that one person. I love that. That's beautiful. Uh, it is totally true, right? If you speak to one person and you make a difference, maybe that's exactly what it was for. What's who do you, it makes me think now too, who's the person that made the biggest difference in your life? Who, who had that ripple that I'm, I'm sure there was more than one. You can, you know, you don't have to limit it to one, but who are some of those people that you think back to? Well, you know, um, when I first went to the Cardinals, I went, I signed with the Cardinals. I signed at uh, Stan Musial. And Biggie Munn had a restaurant in St. Louis. And I, that's where I signed my contract. 
I, three years later, I went to spring training with the Cardinals, and it was Musial's last year, Stan Musial, a Hall of Famer. Hmm. And um, he came over to my locker and says, I remember you. And he called me by my name. And that made the biggest impression on me. Now, here I am, a rookie, virtually, you know, but how in the world, he may have asked someone my name, Alex, but the fact of the matter is that I could, uh -huh. I mean, I was sky high. And since that day, I, I made my mind up that I would go into a group and I can grow into a group. I don't know if I could do it today, but I did for years, 35 to 40 people. And I remember everyone's name. Wow. And I always pride myself on because there's nothing more beautiful than someone to call you by your name, particularly if you haven't seen them in quite a while. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's, it's also just, I mean, your stories, right? They're layered with these people that a lot of people just, we think of as these icons that we've never, they're like some of these baseball players, you know, as a, as a little kid who played baseball, these are like heroes. Right. These, are, these are superheroes, Mickey Mantle, Stan Musial. These are like larger than life characters. And you're telling me how you just had these interactions with them. Um, yeah, Alex, I want to share a story with you. And um, I, you know, the Musial, Red Shindy is another name you may not remember. He was the manager of the Cardinals later on after his playing days. Well, I was the only, Mr. Bush had just bought the team, bought the Cardinals. I was the only one on the roster under 21 years of age, drinking age, right? So, hey, a good German's going to like a beer law. So, Musial and Shandy's, uh, Mr. Bush decided to give everybody on the club a case of beer, except me, because I was underage. So, they've sent the beer truck out. Well, Musial and Shandy's, a couple of old timers, I mean, they're toward the end of their career. They come down and knock on my door now. Most of the guys call me lefty. I'm a left-hander. And I've been accused of thinking that way, too, but that's okay. That's another story. But uh, they knocked on my door and said, lefty, we want to uh, help you get some beer. And, knock, and I said, well, I don't drink it. They said, well, come on. Well, they knocked on doors and they ended up with 36 beers, more than a case, <laughs> and they drank them. <laughs> but they, they did that for them. But I always remembered that they'd always kid me about drinking milk for lunch. Yeah, you know, you got to have a beer long. So, but the, 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 the point I want to make is that these are real people. You know, they, we call them the icons, but they were just real people. And they lived a life to the fullest and obviously were very successful at what they did. I'm, I'm like thinking, I'm like, man, they're drinking <clears throat> beers for lunch and they're the, the, some of the best baseball players. And that's what they're having for lunch, right? Like that's right. Well, they, they they would limit to one, but that's it. They you know they'd always kid me. I'd add ten. They tell me you'll add ten miles to your fastball. Obviously, being a pitcher, if you'd get off that milk and start drinking a beer case. And stuff. But it was a lot of fun. I you know mixing with those guys. Uh, you know, at the time, you don't think much about it, but as you look back through the years, it becomes much bigger at that point in time. I always like to ask athletes and people that played professional or close to professional, you know, I've had a few people who played in the minors on this show and had a few professional athletes, but there's always a day when that, that dream ends, right? No matter how good you are, you know, if we're looking even at, um, we look at Tom Brady now, right? He's playing into his forties. Maybe he'll play for a few more years. 
there's a certain point where it doesn't matter what he does. He's not going to outlast time. Time will catch up and he will have to retire. And sports are one of the few, right? If you are one of the few areas where that happens, if you came out of college and all you wanted to do was be a wall, you know, a hedge fund manager, a wall street broker, well, you could do that for your whole life until the day that you decide, you know, you die or you want to be done. But sports don't allow that. They, they give an ending usually in our, in you, for most people in their thirties. Um, and I'm always interested to hear what that was like. Like when that dream ended, what was that experience like for you? Very Well, in my case, very devastating. But let me back up because I want to put it in perspective. I signed with the Cardinals right out of high school, 17 years of age, with the promise to my mother that I would get a college education. Mm-hmm. So I went to school in the off season. Well, uh, at 26 years of age, I uh, partially tore my rotator cuff. I didn't throw hard to start with, but uh, my career virtually was over with, even though I, I came back, attempted to, to play for a couple more years. But for all practical purposes, in those days, they didn't do surgery, didn't know how to do surgery on rotator cuff. You just you rest and hope it gets better. So I would, even though I had a couple of years realizing that I was toward the end of my career, that I was going to think of, I need to start thinking about what I was going to do after that. Then that's when I bared down, as, a, as the old saying goes, I bared down on the books and I finished my college education. So by the time that my actual playing days, I coached for one year in the Cincinnati Red organization. But I realized that that wasn't quite my cup of tea either. So that's when I went back to New York after I graduated and got involved in the brokerage business. Was there anything around the mindset? You know, I'm, I'm whole, I have this book that you sent so kindly sent me and you've written so many books and, and obviously there's a lot about mindset. What about the mindset of having to walk away? Yeah, that's, uh, and, and, and that's, that's difficult. And in fact, I found myself going to spring training every year for a number of years after that. To, I mean, to, that was my way to, wa- to play or to watch just to watch and okay. talk to my buddies. And, you know, I threw a little back and throw enough to get bad practice. And so it was a way of having a little taste of it, but it wasn't like the real deal. You know, we became extremely and, and sometimes a little bit of excruciating to sit there and watch it. So, gee, I'm not even 30 years of age and I've already had to start another career. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's sort of the way it is. It happens. And, but, for the guys that can go full-time, Alex, go all the way out and extend and have, a, like a Tom Brady, have an extended career, they realize that the day is coming, and they're, they're prepared. See, the money is so much different now than when I played. Chimanetti, you know, guys make more pitch in one game than I've made a whole year. So, But, yeah. it's, uh, but it's different, but they, there comes a time when you really realize, you know it's going to come. Athletic-wise, it's going to be there. Question is, what preparation do you make for the next level? You know, thinking about preparation, I, I noticed that um, it says accomplishment media. Now, obviously, that uh, has something to do with, with what you do there. And, uh, you know, the only place in the dictionary where accomplishment comes before – the dictionary is the only place where accomplishment comes before preparation. Mm. <laughs> you know, you better prepare yourself. And then I think that's a, if, if I talk about one thing with people, it's about being prepared. You do what you're prepared to do. You may wish you could do something else, but if you're not prepared to do it, 
And then we, and that's one of the themes in the book, Reach Beyond, is yeah. the is the preparation level. I um I've been doing a lot of work recently with myself, but also with clients around the idea that you can't control the results of anything. You can control how prepared you are. You can get your mind right. You can practice, but right, you you could do all those things and still get a home run hit off you, right? You can exactly right. You can you could write the best book. And it just doesn't land with the audience that you were hoping it lands with, right? You could do everything and some stuff just doesn't work. And our job and the jobs of most successful people is simply to practice, prepare, and continue to grow and improve. And eventually the results will come. What's your, what's your take on this? Yeah, I, mean, I would I offer in line with what you just said. Uh, I'm a great believer in one-liners. In fact, May I mention it now? If if somebody, I have a little one, a book. It's called the Life, Grin, and Think Book, and it's a little bit of mixture. It's a mixture of wit and wisdom, all one-liners. I have collected over years. There's twelve hundred and fifty of them, broken down into categories. But let me tell you, one of my favorites is this, and it's not proper English. <laughs> results, results is your greatest asset. Think about it. It not are, but it is. And so the emphasis on the singular, you know, and you're right. You can prepare, you can do all the things, but ultimately it comes down, did we get results? And so, uh, and then I wanted to mention that little book is available free if somebody would love to go to uh, to my website. What? LouVictoryBooks.com. Yeah, tell me what was the, is the, the book, the title of the book is The Laugh. Life, Grin. And think book, and that's what you'll do a little of both, you know. And I'm so I'm a great believer that at times, Alex, we need to, you know, we can pull out a little book like that mm-hmm. and just just kind of digest some of the thoughts. It helps us, I, you know. The one thing that we can we continually do today, I think, is we go a little too fast at times. We try to make it something happen that wasn't quite. It's not quite ready. It has to be. You know, it has to be prepped and then you have to get yourself ready to make it happen. But uh, so that little book has helped me through the years, I can promise you. What had you become? 15 books is a lot. Like what had you become not only to write one book, but what had you dive into the like, I'm going to be a writer and not only write one, but write 15? Well, I was playing in Atlanta in the early 60s. And um while I was there, that was during the civil rights era. Now I grew up in the deep South and I want to share with you a book. It's really very close to my heart. It's, um, the book is entitled A Touch of Gray. It's a story about two kids growing up in South Alabama in the mid fifties. Now at that time, it was a segregated society. It was not the kind of society where you would have a white kid and a black kid would be best friends. But that's what the book is about. It's a Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn type book where it's all the things they got in together. Uh, you know, just a fun thing. But it's an element of sadness to it because of the nature of the culture at that time. And uh, so the friendship actually did in well, on a daily basis, but they remained friends for the rest of their life until the, the, when the characters uh, had an a accident and was um, 
and ended up dying as a result of the accident. But the relationship stayed intact. And uh, that book has done, that's my only novel. I wrote it as a novel, even though all the stories are true. But uh, attorneys felt like that we needed to make sure. So you write it as a novel, but the story is still the same. And I came up with the title, A Touch of Gray, Alex, for this reason. It's not about being white. It's not about being black. Because when you bring those two together, you create gray. And so it's a mixture of, uh, of two really different kinds of culture. That's you, you open up an interesting thing because, you know, um, obviously everything in life is changing all the time, right? If you try to stop sure. things from changing, you're just going to get run over, uh, left behind. But to, to start with, hey, you know, I, I come from the deep south and to view humans in, a, let, I'm going to say, like, especially at the time you wrote this book and in your life, like more progressive right aggressive stance what what created that what gave you more of a let's say like more left open-minded more progressive stance towards race and people than a lot of your counterparts where you're from where you were from at the time i think it came from my mother my mother was a believer that all human beings under uh, you know that they all had the same rights they didn't it didn't treat anyone any differently and uh I took that with me to professional baseball. And I want to share with you, here I am from the deep south. And they, I'm playing in Billings, Montana. It's my first full year. I'm 19 years of age. And uh, I was asked um, by the general manager, he says, we got a, a, a equity in the, the way we've distributed our rooms. What had happened, they ended up with me and a young black uh, player being having separate rooms. I said, well, look, let me, let me, Jose, uh, it was from the, and I had learned just enough Spanish to be dangerous if you want to know. But so we, uh, we ended up rooming together and I talk about in the book about, um, so it was basically, we had to get permission from the Cardinals to do that because it was early sixties and uh, we became roommates. And the first time in history, supposedly, of the Carter organization where a black room with a white. And to me, he was, uh, he was a, I tell you what, genuine young man. I got to share this with you. He didn't speak much English. So I taught him to say ham and eggs. And we'd go to <laughs> breakfast and he'd order ham and eggs. Well, he ordered ham and eggs for lunch. He ordered ham and eggs for dinner. But uh, he, uh, he was, a, and actually had an opportunity to play in the big league. So That's we, um, I remember that distinctly, and uh, I remember the, the the way we talked to him, the things that we had to be able to share and learning uh, separate languages. It was uh, it was quite a it was quite an unusual thing. When um, let's talk about like how you went made a transition into say like sales. You go from baseball to, to I think you said Merrill Lynch. Um, like, how do you end up as a sales trainer, motivational speaker? Well, I grew up in the sales business. My dad was a salesperson, so I was around it. And I knew exactly what to expect. And then, so I, I really felt like that I had a knack for sales end of the, because I, I helped, I sold clothes at a, at a haberdashery uh, when I was in a, uh, my teen years. And so I, I really felt like that I had some, an aptitude for it. 
And I did, and I enjoyed it. And um, as I mentioned about the Merrill Lynch thing, I just didn't enjoy being in one place with two phones in your ear, just wanting my cup of tea. But getting up in front of a group of people and talking about how, how you can share yourself, what uh, it takes. See, I'm a great, and I wrote a program called Customer Focus. They did really good around the country. And the focus was on the customer, not on the, it's not on the person, not on the salesperson. Hey, it's on the person on the receiving end. And if we uh, will focus our efforts in that direction, we got a much better change, I think, of making a sale. When you think of, like, you kind of answered what my next question was, is like, what makes someone great at sales? And I hear that piece about, hey, be focused on the customer. That's it. I, I think if you came down to a bottom line, that's exactly it. You can't be thinking about your commission or what you're going to happen on your end. Because what you do, you know, wherever your focus is, and the focus is a big word for me, wherever your focus is, that's where your heart is. And if your heart's not in it for the person sitting across the table or wherever they're at the other end of the phone, wherever you are, your focus has got to be on taking care of that person and that person's needs. You know, you got three choices. They can buy from you, they can buy from someone else, or they cannot buy at all. And your focus is on how, what it takes for me to make an effort with those, uh, that particular individual or family. And, uh, you know, I learned one thing a long time ago, women are the toughest customers. You better be able to, from a male standpoint, it takes a little different knack dealing with, uh, with a, a lady on, on the other side of the table. Why? She, what? she holds a purse strings, my friend. <laughs> What's well, what do you what's the difference? Like if I'm if I'm in sales, what did you see from the perspective of a man to a woman? Like when if I'm well, a man, a man is more interested in um, the technical side. I mean, things a woman wants to know, okay, how's this gonna fit my budget? How how does it really work when it come down to to making it work? For example, an automobile. You know, the uh, the as you look at the overall picture of the ability to sell, there's one thing we've always talked about focusing on, and that's the customer. But there's another factor involved. If it involves money, then you've got to consider the, the money angle. And that's where the woman journey comes in. You've got to make your presentation more along the lines of the benefits for a woman. Man, a little more on the, high, the advantage of it, what it does. But if it comes down to the bottom line is the focus is on the other side. Interesting. Okay. Um, I'm, you, you know, we haven't touched on, you have all these different, and I don't know this about you. Um, so I'm asking from, uh, have you had any children? Have you been married? Uh, you've, you've done all these. <laughs> have I been married? <laughs> yes. More than once, but right. I have, but I have, um, uh, uh, two sons, natural sons, and I end up with three grandchildren. I mean, three stepchildren. I am at the age when most guys, Alex, are having great-grandchildren, and I'm still having grandkids. I In uh, fact, uh, the, the, the delight of my, of my heart, quite frankly. So I have an eight-year-old. One was seven yesterday. The eight-year-old will be nine on, on Saturday. And also... I have a four-year-old, and she, now talking about a little pistol, now she is a little pistol. 
And it's, let me share. Can I share a quick story with you yeah. relative yeah, to birthdays? Right, yeah. well, 10 years ago, we lost our son, my stepson. Uh, he died at age 19. And um, the uh, then he died on the 24th day of this month, just, just uh, two days ago. His uh, interment was on the 27th. Our oldest of those three grandchildren was a little girl, my first girl that came into my life is a, and Harper. And Harper will be, her birthday's on the 27th, the day that Leland was interned. The Bubby, as I call him, Ryder, his birthday's on the 24th, the day that Leland was deceased. So we feel like, it, hey, we have been blessed that even those are two days that you don't want to think about, but we've had a blessing and it's just, it's very unusual to think about it. Yeah. It's, I, I don't know. I can't imagine what it would be like to, you know, to lose a, a child, especially so, especially so young, but I think that everyone thinks, you know, you're never supposed to have your children pass before. You. Yes. Um, but it's a beautiful sentiment and mindset to look at like, Hey, what we got, you know, we, we got two beautiful grandchildren. Um, thanks for yes. sharing that. You real quickly, I have a, a mother, my mother's still living. She'll be 98. In wow. And still quite active. Wow. We should have got her on here. What do you, <laughs> yeah, you're right. And she you... could tell you a few stories about me that I probably wouldn't <laughs> Right. Wouldn't want her to. What is, what did you learn through? I love, I asked the marriage and children because I think like a lot of people come on this show and they tell me about their successes and their wins and what they, you know, times they failed and their accomplishments and whatnot. But I think it's really valuable. I think there's a lot to learn from people's experiences with their families and with their relationships and what that can teach us about other aspects of our, of our lives. What do you think you learned from your experiences being married and being in these serious relationships that you, you know, what, what do you notice or what have you learned from those experiences? Yeah, Alex, I, I have a talk that I've given for years and I want to share a bit of it with you because I think it's super important. You're a young guy and I'm sure a lot of your audience are, are young, uh, probably with smaller children, have maybe thinking of starting a family. I want to emphasize one thing. There are about 1,000 Saturdays or weekends that you're going to have the opportunity to share with that child. From the time that child is born to 18 years of age, it's only 1,000 Saturdays. And my feeling is that those are for your children. There's a reason you have children. But my emphasis is, okay, I can play tennis, but I play golf, but I want to do it around my children. And I, if I can offer one lesson that what I have learned over the years, and I can't say that I adhere to this, but it's obviously, I think is extremely important that you recognize that the time you spend with those kids is the greatest time you'll ever spend with anyone. I think that's great. I think, um, I don't, I know, I'm sure you've seen this. You've had a lot of success. I, one of the most common things that comes up in my business is people show up and they have all this money and all this success, 
And what's missing is the relationships. That's right. The depth of them, the connection, the love, the time. Maybe they have the love and the connection, but they don't have the time. They're not spending the time. And we live in a world that is hyper-focused on money and, and getting more money and getting more and more. And so many people blindly measure their success in terms of money, right? That's what- That's right. Well, I've been there and I understand that. But if, if I think I sent you a note and it's in the book, I've been on the other side too. I, um, where I lost three quarters of a million dollars in just a short period of time. And if you don't understand, um, if, if your basics are not good, mm-hmm. that can be totally devastating. But if you got good basics, if you understand that, hey, I've, I started somewhere before, maybe I have to start over again. And I was at 60 years of age when that happened. So I I really feel that if you look at the overall picture of what you want to accomplish, where you want to go, money is maybe it's the measuring stick, but I don't think that. I think that the greatest thing that comes from having the opportunity to make money is the fact that you're achieving things and you hopefully what you're achieving is not just for yourself, but it's for other people as well. I hope I said that the right way. It sounded pretty good. <laughs> um, what do you think about when you, when you look at your, your children and the lessons that you've taught them and the lives that they're living? Um, what's the thing you'd most want to leave them with? Well, I think the thing you want to leave them with is that uh, understand the greatest, uh, if you, and let me say this, let me, frame this the right way. The greatest thing that we have going for us are relationships. I want my kids, anybody that I speak to as a group to understand that we don't do it alone. You don't make it alone. You have to, you need other people to assist you and you can pat yourself on the back. Hey, one of the things I tell people, look, you know, the problem with patting yourself on your back, it takes time. It slows you down. (laughs) But the fact of the matter is it's okay to pat yourself on the back occasionally, but also don't lose sight of all the wonderful folks that helped you get from to where you are and, uh, and make sure that you reward them accordingly. And that reward doesn't always have to be financially, but uh, sometimes the greatest thing we can need, and that's, I see that a lot right now, is for somebody to just get a pat on the back and says, look, it's gonna be okay. You're headed in the right direction. You'll get back on your feet, whatever it might be. But believe me, the easiest thing in the world to do is to quit. There is no, it takes no talent to be a quitter, but it takes talent, I think, to pick yourself up by your bootstraps and start anew. And I've been there twice and I understand that, but you've got to be able to look yourself in the mirror and say, hey, I've done it before, I can do it again. I have one more question for you, um, which is actually, I've, I shouldn't say that because there's three things I, I got ahead of myself. Um, I want you to tell me about Zig Ziglar. You, you knew Zig Ziglar. You had a relate. Did you meet him? You had a relationship. Oh, yes. I had a relationship with him in Dallas. I was uh, I'd gotten, it was in the mid eighties and I had an opportunity to do uh, a presentation. He was on the, uh, on the platform later. He was the main okay. speaker. 
but I got a chance to do it um, to make a talk earlier. And, and I remember him coming over to me and he, he says, well, we got something in common. I said, what's that? He said, we're both Southerners and we probably sound like it. And I said, well, that's great. But he said, I will listen. I really picked up a couple of really nice points with your presentation. In fact, one of them I just mentioned, it takes no talent to be a quitter. And, uh, and so after that, he invited me on a couple of occasions. Then by a string of, of, of a move that I made, I kind of faded a little bit out of the picture, but uh, there were some times that uh, I shared with him. I, I visited his office. We had a two talk. He gave me a couple of suggestions. And in uh, my new book, The Reach Beyond, I have, by the way, I have another book coming. <laughs> for It's going to be for young athletes and coaches. And I'm doing it with a Hall of Fame coach uh, by the name of Sonny Smith. He was Charles Barkley's college coach. And so we've got a book called Coming Winning the Head Game, because when it comes down to it, I don't care. It's called the, the subheading is called Key to Elite Athletic Status. But you could change it from athlete to salesperson to, you know, technical advisor. You can name it. It would all fit because the equations of what life is about, Alex, to me, there are certain basics. And if you do them, you can be successful. Almost anything you do. Tell me about, I know you have a story about someone's life that you supported that, um, the astronaut story. Yes. Tell me about, I, was, I don't know the details. That's just, I was speaking and I, I didn't get permission to use her name. So I'm not going to use her real name, but I'm going to tell this story. Okay. I was speaking at a small school in a central town in Alabama. I was invited to speak by the superintendent of education. And, uh, I, um, it was near my home, so I went and did it. And uh, I asked, it was, it was senior class, and I asked them, what do you want to be? And this young lady says, I want to be an astronaut. And all the others laughed and giggled, you know, ha, 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 she wants to be an astronaut. And it just struck me. So after the, the meeting was over with, I talked to her a little bit. And I said, don't let that dream die. You, you, hey, you just live that dream and you and make it happen. She went to college, got a degree, and she serves in the astronaut program today. And that was from about, oh, probably 30, 28 to 30 years ago that I, I spoke. So I, I just think that don't let somebody talk out of dreams. You know who generally tries to talk out of your dreams? Somebody close to you. They don't mm -hmm. want you to be hurt. You know, you can't do that. Well, yes, you can. Hey. I love a, a statement that uh, the impossible, guess what the first two letters are? I am. I am yeah. possible, not impossible. I am possible. So I'll leave you with that. I think that's a great place to wrap up. Um, I like to always, I want to tell people where they can find more things about you, um, which is your name. I'm going to spell it for people, but uh, where they can get your books too, which is Lou, L-O-U. And then V I C K E R Y books.com. Uh, they can also find you on Twitter, Lou Vickery, L O U V I C K E R Y one. Um, you're on Facebook. You're on all the things you're on LinkedIn. They, you're, you're, you're doing everything right. Um, <laughs> is, let me jump in and mention one yeah, thing about the book. Um, the right reach beyond it can be found in any bookstore, Amazon, Barnes and Noble online. 
It, it, I don't have it. They can go to my site. They can read about it, but it's going to send them to one of the, the other places for purchase. I have other books there if somebody would like to look at those at louvickerybooks.com. But uh, hey, I, just, I tell you what, I've been blessed uh, beyond measure. Hey, and I've been blessed here today. I, I appreciate very much the opportunity to, to be with you. Uh, you, Hey, you make it easy. And that's always great in the interviewing business. Thanks, Lou. I, I say this and I hope you, I, I think this is a compliment. I say it as a compliment. Um, my favorite person in the, that's ever existed in my life is my grandfather. Yes. Um, and my grandfather was born before the Great Depression. Um, he's not, he's been passed away for about nine years now. So he passed away when I was around 30. And, um, but he was my hero. He was my idol. Um, and, you know, I've learned as I've gotten older, the good things about him, some of the bad things about him, right? Yeah. You see all of it. And it doesn't change who he was for me. But in doing this podcast, every once in a while, I get somebody on here who has a, you know, you have grandfatherly wisdom and energy and some, some of it's just age, right? And some of it is the way you are a grandfather. Um, but I always like to tell it's you and a couple others. There haven't been very many, but it, there's always a sense that I get when I'm recording these that like there's a little piece of reconnection I get um, with my grandfather. My grandfather, like it's, it's funny too that you said in your book, uh, Mickey Mantle called you the kid. He said, he said kid, you know, when he referred yeah, to you. True. Um, my grandfather wasn't an athlete, but when he grew up in Boston and he grew up in, you know, he would have, this would have been in the twenties and the thirties. Um, and he would sit out in the outfield. He'd go to every game and he would gamble on baseball. <laughs> and, and, and I, when I mean gamble on baseball, he would gamble on, um, how many, you know, uh, how many, uh, uh, how many seconds is it going to take the pitcher to throw the ball? Like they get, yeah. I don't know if you know, right? All, all, the, all the screwy stuff. It's so yeah. to speak, right? Yep. And yeah, all the weird, like they gamble on regular things. Like if the person's going to hit it, where are they going to hit it? But also like all these weird in, 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 I can't say the word intricities. You know what I'm saying? I can't say the word. And, uh, but he, he was in his, like he was young at the time. So this, I guess would have been in the thirties or the forties. And his nickname was the kid because he was the youngest one uh, in the group. Yep. And he would win. And apparently he was really good and he would win all the money off these older guys. <laughs> um, I, 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 let me tell you, can I share a real quick deal? Sure. With you? Yeah, okay. go ahead. That's um, and I'm thinking about that. Um, you know, as I look back uh, over the years and uh, uh, I was always kind of the, the one that people, and I talk about that in the book reach beyond. There's a couple of stories about guys coming to me that had difficulties. So I've always been sort of the one that, that when things were not quite going right, hey, let's sit down, let's talk about it. You know, there's there's a solution somewhere. Yeah. We just have to find it, right? Yeah. All right, I'm going to leave this with you, okay? Yeah. All right, now, this is for everyone. I want you to keep a smile on your face. Keep happiness in your heart. Keep positive thoughts on your mind and optimism on your tongue. And I don't care where you go or what you do. Hey, somebody's going to look at you and says, I wish I had some of that. Will that work? I think, I mean, I'm with you. I, <laughs> this is the thing. It can't hurt. No, so, absolutely. Lou, There's no, and they, it won't make things worse. I promise. No, 
Lou, thank you so much. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your generosity. Thanks for the stories. Um, thanks for being an example of somebody who's lived life to the fullest. I'm sure you're not done yet. There's more to do. You said even, you know, if you keep going on this pace, you've probably got, you know, 15 more years like your mom and who knows when, um, but there's probably another 10 books or so in you. Um, but thanks for setting an example and uh, sharing your stories here so people can learn from them and also be inspired by them. Well, Alex, thank you. And I'd love to come back sometime. Hey, right. You write a couple more books. You can come back whenever you want. You there you go. <laughs> um, I, I would love to have you. Um, I know that we only touched upon a little bit of your life and a little bit of your source story. So thanks for that. And um, every, I, I like to say at the end of this, everyone listening, if there was value in this for you, which I know there was, if you didn't get value, you should probably listen to it again because you're not paying attention. But who do you know that needs to hear this? Who needs to hear this episode that it would make a difference for them in their life, in their relationships, in their love life, in their health, in their business? Please share this with them and we'll see you next time. Thank you, Alex. Thanks for listening. Honestly, I'm just a rebel who found a cause and has a dream and I'm super grateful for your support. If you got anything from this, please help me out and share this podcast with one person today. You can find me at thedreammason.com or at inspirationalalex on Instagram. You are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves.